Hey friends, it's Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 22, Tyler Kane. I would say Tyler is like a Swiss army knife. He has been the touring guitarist for Big and Rich. He has written for a number of country artists. He's a producer. He has had songs in television and film. And we're going to talk about it all. How did he get started, especially in a place like Nashville? That is a place where you've got to work your butt off. And we're going to hear some of his story, how he's made it, his advice that he gives to others, and his process. So we're going to delve into it. Episode number 22, Tyler Kane. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Dude, I am super pumped because when I look at your background, so, okay, so you've had a song that is on a Grammy-nominated country album of the year. Uh, let's see what else. So you've toured with very big names, and you were a touring guitarist. You're a producer. You have sample packs that you create on your own. It feels like, when do you sleep? Yeah, man, the hustle's real, you know what I mean? Like, uh yeah. It's definitely real, and it's only, the hustle's only getting more real every day, <laughs> you know? But I feel like this is a thing, like when, you know, if you look at your Instagram, the things that you do, I feel like you have a guitar always on you 24-7. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was kind of the beginning of all of it was the guitar. Like, I think I fell in love with music because of the guitar. That's always been, like, a, a big part of it. And I moved in that, the initial dream when I moved to Nashville was really just to be it was kind of like a very pure dream. I just wanted to be like a guitarist in a popular band. You know what I mean? And everything yeah. else kind of branched out of that. So so when did you start guitar? When was like that entryway into guitar? Man, you know, my dad had an old like Yamaha acoustic guitar that I used to mm -hmm. see sitting on a shelf when I was like maybe like eight or so. And, you know, eight or nine, I started picking it up and kind of trying to just figure songs out. And it just kind of went from there. You know, I played piano a little bit before that. But yeah, I don't know why. Guitar was just something I just really fell in love with and kind of has been a life's journey ever since, you know. It's so interesting to hear a lot of people say that because I feel the same way. I started with piano and then eventually it migrates to guitar. Yeah, I think piano is more visual. So I think when you're younger, sometimes piano is a little easier because, you know, there's only one place you can play each note on a piano like each pitch only has one location and it is a little more visual to look at so i think maybe that's why a lot of kids tend to start on piano sooner. and it's more satisfying to press c middle c and know you're going to get middle c and so disheartening yeah. when you press into a fret and it sounds like pure shit and you're like what <laughs> yeah exactly you're like this is hard like yeah music is hard <laughs> now when you when you were kind of like then when you were practicing guitar and you were learning songs and doing this kind of like wh what were bands that were influencing how you kind of viewed like songs yeah for me like growing up it was always like 90s pop rock i mean i mm. think anyone in my age group was kind of into that um, and I grew up like I was born in Long Beach, California, but I, I my dad was in the military. So we kind of moved a bit. And then I grew up on the East Coast. Um, and there was, uh, you know, like Dave Matthews coming out of like Charlottesville. And like, there was a band called Asians of Good Roots. It was kind of out of that same scene. I remember Jason Mraz coming out like like these guys that were kind of coming out of that kind of 90s singer songwriter vibe. And uh, I was also at the same time really into like social distortion. I loved Pantera when I was a kid and like White Zombie. I don't know. I liked heavy guitars and everything from like hard rock to pop rock. It was all rock based. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really get into country until I was like late teens, you know? No, that's interesting. So what was the turn into country? 
Well, I had a band when I was young. I met a friend of mine who's a, uh, my friend Van Hughes. He's a amazingly like talented like entertainer. I guess I would call him. He's a singer, songwriter, but he's also um, now he's actually gone on to like be in like different Broadway shows and movies and things. But we had a band together playing country music, and we play all the VFW lodges and yeah. um, little festivals. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth, like playing locally. My first taste of like making money with music, and you know, playing four-hour sets when we were like sixteen and seventeen. Isn't that interesting where sometimes you can have, you listen to a certain type of music, regardless, pop rock, in that genre, and then suddenly when you branch out into other things, it's like, oh, this is intriguing. It's not it necessarily, is, yeah. you have some preconceived notions, but when you start delving into the thing, you're like, oh. The thing that makes it intriguing too is like kind of the culture surrounding a style of music, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you hear the songs and like maybe out of context, they seem strange, and then you start you know, really learning what they're about and like the lifestyles that inspired them and this and that. And you realize there's so much more to like a style of music, you know? I think that's where that intrigue kind of comes from. What were some preconceived notions you had about country, but as you delve more and more, they kind of like slightly dissolved almost because you were like, this is not it at all. I well, don't know what I had in my head. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, at first, like a lot of country seemed corny to me. You know what I mean? I think it did <laughs> yeah. to a lot of people. And especially like, growing up like thinking like yeah i was like one of those kids that would wear like combat boots and had long hair and I, you know i thought i was hard <laughs> yeah. i really wasn't but i thought i was so country music seemed strange to me at first but uh it's one of those things you just kind of i f eventually started falling in love with it like guitar players like brent mason even like jimmy olander from diamond rio who's like a friend of mine now some of these guys that the way they played guitar, Brad Paisley's another one. Like I would hear the way they played guitar and I was like, man, I got to figure that out. Like this is, this is insane. I can totally get that preconceived notion too of being like, you know, me being like, I'm a punk. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm from suburbia. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not feeling any of this. You know, I'm saying this, but then I'm going to the mall. And yeah. We're going to borders. Something goes down. My ass was the first one that was out of there. <laughs> exactly. There's no revolution happening at Barnes and Noble yeah. right now. But it's interesting. You mentioned Brad Paisley too, because yeah, when you listen to his guitar, your work, you're just like, damn, that's really good. And that's where you start delving into that. So, so you're, you're playing and you're doing some gigs. Then how do you decide to make that move? And you're like, cool, Nashville, Nashville is the place where I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the question. Like every, so many people still hit me up and they're like, hey, I'm moving to Nashville. How do I get started? You know, right? <laughs> that's like the yeah. question. And honestly, even after being here for like 18 years, there's still not a good answer. Like you move here and you just figure it out, right? These country guitar players, a lot of them started to become some of my favorite musicians at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and the more I started learning those songs for our, our little gigs you know, I was like, who's actually playing these things? And I would look them up. I was like, man, all these guys are living in Nashville. Like that must be the place to be. And they just always seemed like such a magical place, you know, like the most musicians per capita in the world. Right. So it's like, you only have this one life to live. Might as well come here and see, see what you can do here. You know, when you made that move, what were some of your first gigs or kind of, I guess your, your first building blocks of establishing relationships and eventually, you know, doing very well. Yeah, I initially went to Belmont. So I went to college. Okay. And I studied music business because I wanted to kind of have a background a little bit in the business side of things. But and I felt like I was really learning more musically just from throwing myself into situations with musicians that were better than me and that's still something that i think is important to your growth you know just trying to get into rooms with players that are better than you all the time but 
honestly, Belmont's kind of like a, its own little bubble. My first, you know, sort of step into like the real scene was uh, I, I worked at a label right after college. I got a job at an artist management company that turned, they got bought by a label. Um, kind of a weird scene, like the CEO of the company ended up going to prison for like laundering money and all kinds of stuff that I, I didn't even know anything about. And it was this sort of, it was the, it was like this wild realization, like, man, this shit is crazy. Like it's like <laughs> out of a movie. Right. And that was my first kind of taste of like the music industry. And when that went down, I always had it in my head that having a normal job was more secure than being a musician, you know? Mm -hmm. Once that happened, you know, there was FBI agents that came into the label and everybody had to leave. And the guy that, you know, had put this whole thing together went to prison, right? So everybody was trying to find a new job. And I got a call literally the same day. I got a phone call from uh, Spalding Entertainment, which is like a management company. And they represented Ashley Monroe who was on Sony at the time. And they also represented Sarah Buxton, who was on Lyric Street, which was uh, Disney's country label. They called me and they said, hey, we need, we represent both of these artists and we need somebody that can play for both of them and go on the road doing a radio tour. And if you, if, if you don't know what a radio tour is, you're, you're basically in three cities a day. I mean, it's a grind. And you get up at like six in the morning and you're physically going into each radio station with the artists and playing their single live. And then you get in the van and you drive to the next city and the next city and, and you hit like three cities a day. Yeah. So I was doing that with two different artists. So I went from like losing my quote unquote real job. And then all of a sudden I was just a full-time musician in Nashville and it just went up from there, you know? That is yeah. such a crazy story, especially yeah. when people are like, ah, the normal job is really safe. It's like, yeah, did you need a more visible sign than FBI guys breaking yeah, down exactly. and then going in, taking your boss to give the signal? It's not always that safe. It's that not that safe. <laughs> yeah, it's not that safe. Yeah. And I mean, I was so young and naive. I had no idea anything weird was going on there anyways. And I probably wasn't really cut out for that job anyways. I would sort of sneak into the little kitchen every day and like eating lunch for two hours. Like they weren't really, <laughs> you know, it wasn't really my vibe. But yeah, after that, you know, went on the radio tour, things went well. And then honestly, the biggest thing is word of mouth, man. And, you know, people notice how you are. Like if you're consistent, if you're professional, yeah. if you do good work, if you learn the music, if you have the right gear, if you have the right look. All those things factor in, you know, and then you kind of let your work speak for itself, you know. I think what you're saying, like at the beginning, you said the 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 hustle to to it's almost like you want to stay five steps ahead. It's like you want to mm -hmm. be there ten minutes early. You want to have your shit together. It's like you have the tones dialed in. You know the parts, not just know it, but you the feel, the vibe, everything you've yeah. got. But they're just like, oh, they know what they're doing. Regardless of how you act, people are going to notice. They notice a lot more. Like people notice a lot more than you think, right? If you're late, they notice that. If you're early, they notice that. Even if they don't say anything, so it, it's free to be on time. It's free to have a good attitude. Like all these things that are going to like get you gigs, they don't cost anything. Like it just takes a little bit of discipline. I wish I had kind of learned it a little sooner, you know. But mm -hmm. that's one of the things I kind of tell you. Sort of tell young musicians that not everybody wants to hear that. They want to hear like go to this door and knock three times and then like your dream gig awaits, you know? Well, I think everybody has that preconceived notion, you shall do this and the door shall open and exactly. everything shall yeah, be fine. Yeah. A magical genie will bless you with your first opportunity. It, but it is, it's kind of like that grind of doing all the right things, even when you think no one's looking because it's like, 
people are looking. You may not see, but people notice when someone's on time, when they know their parts and they're like super professional. And that's what you did. And guess what? It's, it's, as you said, it's that steady climb up. Where are some other moments? So you were doing those radio tours, then Big and Rich, you, you play guitar yeah. there too. How did you get, how did that slowly evolve? Was it also that word of mouth over time? Yeah. So Big and Rich, yeah, I ended up touring with them for probably close, close to five years, I guess, four or five years. So yeah, I did the radio tour stuff with the artists on Spalding and, and I ended up, you know, I ended up, uh, I still work with Ashley Monroe. Like I'll still, uh, you know, write and record with her, produced a couple tracks on a project that she's got coming up here. You know, I still work with her a lot. Yeah. And Sarah Buxton's like a sister, like those, those artists are still like very, I'm very close to them. But from that, I played with a few artists after that. Everything was word of mouth, you know, from what I was already doing, I would make relationships with other people in similar situations. And then when things happen, they happen fast, you know, like you'll get a call and it's like, hey, our guy quit or this person can't do such and such. Can you hop out here tomorrow? You know, it's literally that fast. You know, if you're willing to just say yes and, and go for it. And one thing always kind of led to another. I think Big and Rich was, uh, oh, a friend of mine was tour managing them. And we had toured together for years. I was out with an artist named James Otto that was on Warner Brothers like in 2008. And uh, Todd was a good friend of mine and um, really great tour manager. and he was tour managing Big and Rich and actually the keyboard position opened first. They need it was one of those last minute things. They needed a guy for that weekend. So I just said yes and learned all the keyboard parts and went out there. Um and honestly I didn't even have like a great rig. Like my Leslie cabinet was this old vintage Leslie that like I, I like went out there on a prayer. I was like, please. <laughs> I was like, I had to like blow in it like a Nintendo game to get it to work sometimes. <laughs> so I just kind of went out. I was like, man, I'm going to go for it. Went out there, got along with everybody real well. And I just kind of played keys in Big and Rich until the guitar slot opens. And then I was like, you know, I'm actually a guitar player. You know, can I maybe like uh, step into that role and leave the keyboard position to a professional? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my God. But that is, you know, as you as you said, like you know, a lot of these things happened. It feels like very organically too through relationships where people sometimes are like, "Well, how many Instagram followers do I need to buy? How many do I need?" And it's just like, no, it's about again the relationship you have with people that you meet along the way. That yeah. you don't treat them any different, but it's like you treat them that that relationship matters because they remember that, and that's where you get the call. And just you saying yes. Were, are there moments where you said yes, where you were like, absolutely. And then you were like, okay, fuck, what do I got to do? Yeah. Okay, so I, got, I have to, I I have to figure this out. Like, I played shows for, you know, played shows where they're like, oh, they'll be like, oh shit, our guy can't get into Canada because he uh, ran down the street naked and has like a charge now or something, you know, it'd be some <laughs> crazy situation. They're like, we need somebody that can fly out and do the gig tomorrow, you know, and you'll be standing in front of like, you know, 10,000 people trying to read charts, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, you know, I've been in some odd situations. Those are the kind of situations school can't really prepare you for, you know what I mean? And it's not just, you know, you don't think about those kind of things, but maybe it's like a midday festival and the wind's blowing. And if you're, if you got paper charts that aren't like secured properly, or you don't have like an iPad or whatever, they're going to blow away. And then you don't know these songs, right? Like those scenarios you end up in that like only like experience can kind of let you know what the right thing to do is. 
Yeah, I think in general, like if you have a good attitude and if you can back it up and play well, then I think it really, you know, people are forgiving about you, like really learning. Yeah. How would you describe your playing over that period of time, too? Because I think all those scenarios that you said, that has to stretch you incredibly. One of the biggest lessons I've learned as a musician, and I'm sure you could attest to this as well, it's like however you feel while you're playing, you're not going to fool anybody. How you feel while you're playing is going to translate to the listener. If you're stressed out and you're on edge and you're nervous, I really feel like that translates to the muscles in your hand and how you're squeezing the neck and how stiff your right hand is and how you're playing. And if you can be relaxed and comfortable and allow yourself to really feel the music and be emotionally connected to it and deflect some of the stressfulness of situations, that's kind of what starts to make you a pro because that translates in your playing as well, right? And when you're practicing at home, you're very relaxed. And that's a completely different scenario than if you're standing in front of a large crowd playing a song you don't know that well for an artist that you may be nervous if they like it or not. Yeah, because it does, because you have to have that. You can hear it when someone plays. When I watch someone sit down, a student, a client, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to play it for you. And immediately I see those hands tense up. Yeah, and I'm like, it's oh, okay, yeah. you can relax. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm just a little nervous. It's like, yeah, it's visible. You can hear the, the shakiness in the hand too. Mm -hmm. But I guess that also goes into how much time do you have you spent with your instrument? Do you start to feel comfortable that when you're put in those scenarios where you're stretched, that you're just like, you know what? You know what? I'm a little nervous, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just go in. I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah, you got to have a healthy confidence in yourself too. Like when you get your first opportunity, you have to have a healthy confidence that you belong here. Yeah. You're there for a reason. Instead of being nervous in those situations, you don't want to be arrogant. Arrogance will like kill the vibe, but if you as long as you're confident, you got to be confident in your playing and know that you're there for a reason and just get to that kind of peaceful place inside where you can like allow yourself to feel the music. I've been part of the audition process for a few artists where I was just kind of in the band where they were auditioning somebody to, you know, maybe a new bass player, a new guitar player, a new something. It was really interesting to me in a, in a lot of those scenarios, you almost know who's going to get the gig from the moment they walk in before they hit a note. Not really? completely. Yeah. You still have to hear them play, but there's a certain confidence and a certain calmness that is appealing when you're like auditioning people, you know, you want somebody that has that kind of inner peace. Absolutely. Because you probably don't want someone that's always on edge when you're yeah. about to like, it's like, Hey, we're going to have a great show. Yeah. I hope we do. And it's like, I hope we yeah. do. <laughs> there's something that comes with experience. You know, there's something that yeah. comes with just playing, you know, hundreds of thousands of shows and like just, you know, being like where your instrument becomes an extension of you. And then that's, you know, that can kind of translate. And I think that's more important, obviously, than how fast you can play or like how crazy a riffs you can play and that kind of stuff. Then as you've been, as you were doing this, was recording too, like songwriting, recording always part of your process? Or did that slowly develop over time as you became more of a writer and you were doing uh, more touring? It definitely developed. The thing about a city like Nashville, I think now more people do more things. More people are kind of multifaceted. When I was coming up, I was viewed as like a side man because that's kind of the identity I'd created for myself in town. And a side guy or a session guy, you know, just a guitar player. And as I got into production, it was really hard for me to get people in the scene to kind of see me as a producer. So it was kind of a process, process learning the technology, getting clients, 
figuring out what I had to contribute to production. It's still a process, you know? Do you feel like you got in production because as you were working on stuff, you would always hear things and you were like, I can do this. Like, this is something I can do. Yeah, it's, I mean, the creation of music is like a fascinating process to me, you know, and helping like sitting with an artist and them having a vision in their head and helping, just helping guide them to that vision. It's, that's fulfilling. And I enjoy that. Yeah. Then how would you approach, you know, especially when you're working on songs yourself or songs for other people, let's say the process, you grab the guitar and you're like, I'm going to write a part. What dictates what you're going to write sometimes or the things that, is there almost like a little set rule book that you have in your own internal mindset when you're like, this is what I'm looking for and this is what I'm not looking for. I like to kind of start with the end goal in mind, right? So like if I'm working with an artist, it's kind of like, what's our goal here? Is is the goal to create something that fits the format of like some of these like playlists, like new boots or like wild country or something? Is our goal to kind of land in that place or is our goal like something for film and TV? Like what's our goal? And then what, you know, then hearing the song, And then reverse engineering it kind of like, uh, you know, obviously there's like song structure and form. There's like certain song structures and certain forms that fit certain formats better. Sometimes you work with an artist and you kind of help them arrange the song to where it kind of makes sense in the format. And different artists, you know, have different levels of understanding of that sort of stuff. So some people kind of have it all together and you're really just putting together the right guys as far as the band goes and putting together the right situation, the right vibe to record, you know? So it just depends on the artist. When you're recording guitar, what is your rig or some some of your go-to things? I, uh, I love Gibson guitars. I have, you know, I have like a 77 Les Paul that I love. Mm-hmm. I have an ES330. You know, as far as like acoustics, you know, I have a, uh, I have like a jumbo over here that I like. I'm trying to think, I got so many guitars around here. <laughs> everywhere but i mean i also have like you know a strat that is kind of my go-to for that sound i have a duesenberg i have like a 1965 silver tone that does a really unique thing as far as amps my favorite amp is a 1963 fender tremulux amp that i bought years ago i love that amp um i use a kemper sometimes too you know i I use a kemper a lot actually depending on what it is i do Um, too (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a very versatile thing to have nearby when you need something quickly to just change. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that a lot. I don't know. I got a lot of stuff. You can't, (laughs) it's like you can never have enough. It's like there are moments where I'm like, minimalist? Yes, I will. Actually, not, no, not when it comes to this. This is actually where I need more. Even if I'm not using it all, I just like, having it around for inspiration <laughs> you know you you're working with other artists you tour but then you and your fiance you do something as well like you've created your own project as well yeah how do you separate the process from working with an artist to when you're you know composing things for yourself you know my fiance she's she's an amazing artist her name is megan Lindsay. she was in a band called steel magnolia that was on big machine for like three years and had some hits on country radio and she's a phenomenal artist i've always been kind of in awe of her talent but she came from new orleans and she's got that kind of soul singer you know kind of spirit to her and i was we got together and i was um you know i was like producing some of her records and she actually you know ended up like kind of becoming runner-up on the voice and she's had a really successful solo career too and we were working on that music and then we decided to put you know this duo project out um we're always like writing and recording and 
we do a lot of like film and TV music together. We tour together. So that's, that's really nice to be able to do that because she was on the road with Steel Magnolia. And then I was also on the road with Big and Rich. So we were on different mm-hmm. tours and it was going to be, it's very hard to keep a relationship together when you're both touring around the world in different places and different times. That has to be because that, that has to be sometimes like schedules don't sync up at all. Yeah. And it's hard, man. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are musicians that go through really hard life situations and divorce and separations and all kinds of stuff just by virtue of, you know, this really demanding kind of career, you know? Yeah. And it, it's interesting, too, because you, you said you do, you know, film and TV stuff. Do you find the process of a song for, let's say this is an album, as opposed to a song for film and TV, the writing process is different? The success we've had with film and TV has all been from personal relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can't really premeditate them. And you and, and the thing about film and TV is you just... You, you never know. It's such a wide like range of stuff they're looking for. It just depends on what you know is going on on a show or in a movie or something. But when it comes to like sync music, meaning music being synced on like TV shows and films and that kind of stuff, the thing I kind of compare it to: if a country song is a movie, meaning like it has a little bit of a plot, a storyline, it's really telling this graphic story. Then from my experience, like most film and TV music is more like a photograph. It's like lyrically, it's more like a snapshot. It maybe has a lot more repetition. It's not detracting from the scene on the TV. It's just very directly kind of reinforcing whatever's happening, right? It it supports it, what's what's happening. It doesn't feel like a contradiction. It just adds to it. Yeah, exactly. And, And the success we've had with film and TV music has always been songs that we least expected something to happen with. It wasn't always our favorite songs. It might just be a song that has a section that repeats like a phrase over and over. It's always funny when they choose the section that you're like, we spent a long time on that verse and they use the bit with the O's, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That happens so much. Yeah. The thing that you just do quickly without overthinking ends up like getting traction. And when you overthink it, it doesn't connect quite the same. Yeah, and it's always interesting, and it's like, wow, they chose that bit. And it's like, okay, then sometimes it also reiterates to me, like, remember, keep it simple. You don't have to keep it complex. You don't have to make it this grandioso, like, 25 parts right here in this section. This is where it changes. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Let's just keep it down to, like, two guitars and then this vocal. Yeah, it's easy to lose lose sight of it. We've all done that. I mean, we've all done that, where we just kind of go overboard on something and you know, we all go through this cycle of like, oh, this is great. And then it kind of goes around. You're like, God, this is terrible. I'm trash. And then it comes back around. Yeah, this is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's changed except for your, your, your psyche, you know? I feel like I hear that so much where it's like, you can look at one song and be like, nope. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Mm, I don't know about you. And then the next day you're like, you're okay. You're you're a pretty good song. Exactly. What are you excited? So what do you've got, you know, happening that you're excited about that you're, you're starting the process. You said you're creating a studio, which is pretty. Yeah. So the studio that we're building, I'm so excited about this year. I'm sure it's been, I mean, it's been crazy for all of us, like for you, for me, for everybody listening, like I'm sure this year and you know, my heart goes out to everybody because it's like, we're all dealing with it. Like our industry has been just smashed, you know, I don't know. I've just really been trying to stay positive. And the thing that's been, 
good for us is like building this studio in the backyard. Yeah, I don't know. It's like just really diving into what are the nuances of like really soundproofing a place, you know? Um, how do you how do you tune a room in? Like, you know, how do you build a space that's like ideal for recording? I feel like I've learned a lot um, in that process. It's been really cool. And it's also setting yeah. up your own space. Like this yeah. is the place that you're going to be at. How can you create it? And make it feel like, yeah, it's functional, but like this I is a space. I want to be here all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's just because I feel like so many people have, you know, if you take a job where somebody has to be at a place that they're like, I, you know, it kills me. I don't yeah, like exactly. that. You have the opportunity to, to make it something really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to be really great. And uh, I'm really excited. It's like we're at the point now where it's really coming together. Like, it's I think we're about a week away from done. And to be honest, <sighs> man, this whole process has really like kind of helped carry me through a lot of this COVID stuff and keep me in a positive headspace. And it's been a good balance between that and recording, you know. But the reason we built this place, um, was, it was all kind of a blessing in disguise. But our old studio, which was a place we rented, a tree fell through our control room. Shit. So yeah, we had like a bad storm here in Nashville. I went to the studio and um, the roof had caved in and you know, gallons and gallons of water were just pouring all over our gear for hours. So that was pretty messed up. But um, I say it's a blessing in disguise because, you know, we had wanted to do this for a long time. We just didn't really have the courage to kind of go for it. And then that kind of put a fire in our belly, like, okay, like, let's go ahead and build like our dream place, you know? I feel like at, from the moments you've described, you've had these big moments when you get a boss that's <laughs> arrested by the FBI, yeah. a tree fucking smashes through your, it's like these huge signals move on to the next thing. Yeah, it's like, man, damn. what else can we do, right? We did, yeah. hey, the music industry is not for the faint of heart, I don't think. <laughs> oh, dude, but this was awesome. Tyler, thank you so much for sharing your process, your story. It's it, It's been awesome to hear just like your perspective too on, on the journey. Thanks, man. Hey, I appreciated uh, you taking the time today, man. It was good talking to you, Mike. Now, one thing that we didn't get into, but I think is so cool to mention, if you go to Tyler's Instagram, he created a series of loops and different progressions of banjo in various keys and BPMs that if you're a producer and you're you're looking for banjo or you want to add these into your songs, you can grab these and throw them in. They are so good. So just head on over to his Instagram and check it out. And after you're downloading some banjo loops, you know what you should do? You should go to Apple Podcasts, Songwriting for Guitar, and leave us a review. We are 22 episodes in, and we ain't stopping, but we need your help. And the one thing I'd love to get this week are 10 new reviews. So if you're listening to this, and you're like, I haven't left a written review on one of my favorite episodes, now's the perfect opportunity to tell us about it. So just Apple Podcasts, review, and if you've done that already, thank you. Well, that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Pafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>